All right, welcome to Doors of the Mind. My name's Robbie. Kyle over here again. And we're going to continue into part two of The Wise Man's Fear. And so we kind of left off talking about theorizing with different theories. And I was actually thinking, I did have one more theory as I was reading through it. You know, we have this whole story about Jack stealing the moon okay. and then we have the whole part about Florian discussing how there was an old story about how mm -hmm. the moon cycles through the fey world and the human world right. and so the moon seems to be a pretty big factor yes. in terms of these worlds and the way that one enters into one of these worlds and um, yeah, there seems to be a lot surrounding the moon. And my theory is that what if in the lackless box, what if the name of the moon is in that box? Okay. And then, so we know we know we get kind of some hints during the the current time of. Um, while Kvothe is telling this story. And he talks about how he was kind of the start of kind of times going downhill. Yes. Now we don't know whether or not that's because the king died. We also don't know, you know, we know that that has something to do with, you know, the Fey world. That's how the Skrail got in. So what if somehow Kvothe finds the name of the moon and it somehow gets rid of kind of the the separate worlds and somehow combines both of these worlds together. Yeah, I I do think that there is something to that. The moon's brought up a lot in this book, um, specifically when. Um, What's the name of the guy the Elodine who mastered or uh Thurp Thrape? Threp. Threp. So Threp says there's three things that all wise men fear, right? And he says it's um the scene of storm, a night with no moon, and the anger of a gentle man. So we know that a night with no moon has to matter. Mm. I think that you're right. That like there could be something with the moon there. I assume that that box will be unlocked. And that I would see it as the worlds blend. And that would bring like chaos more so than anything. Right. Than like healing. Because the Fae are not tall, nice creatures. You know, like that speaks of them. Like you think that they have beneficial ideologies you do not understand them. Right. I, I also think, though, with your point that of why things are going wrong, you pointed back to that Kavoth talked to the cafe, which I don't know how he did, because there's supposed to be those guardians of the cafe tree. Right. The, um, I can't remember their name. Right. one of the one of the like the, races of... like the Sithe, it's like scythe or something yeah but they're supposed to guard it so 
I have a thought that this is all orchestrated, that they let him go talk to the cafe because they say that if you go near him, they kill you. If they know that you talk to them, they kill you. So he's telling everyone he talked to them. So I think so that would imply that he would just die now. So I think that they let him talk to it. It's made things go terrible, and that there's some kind of plot to like merge the worlds and for their agenda, the watchers of the cafe to take place, and to both either go against or for it. Yeah, that's a interesting theory. I hadn't considered it, but once again, I mean, one of the things with this book is we're only kind of given a glimpse mm-hmm. into the actual true nature of something. And then as soon as we're kind of given it and we feel like we understand it, it's almost taken away. Right. You know, even with the they, the chronicler kind of uh, debunks the whole view of the Cathay yeah, where it's like classic I slap you yeah he's like we're not fated we're not predetermined to do anything mm-hmm. we all have a choice we all have uh, ability to choose regardless of this Cathay or not yeah. now I'm sure the Cathay is real and that it is trying to tip things in a malicious way but it's still up in the air how much power it really has. Yeah, I think that what's okay. If you assume that since he talks to Cafe, everything's gonna be terrible and they're all gonna die. Not the best book. But you have to remember that the 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 scythe, what do they call the scythe, they let him talk to them. Possibly. We don't know that for mm-hmm. sure. That's true, but that, that's going to be my theory. They let him talk to them so that a greater purpose can be served. Because if they're, you know, this ancient fairy race, like, watches them, guards them, doesn't let anything bad happen, well, he talked to them. And he didn't do it by any kind of miraculous trickery or anything. He just walked right up and talked. So I think that's going to be, like, part of some bigger picture and we're going to see that unravel i think you're right though that the fey world is going to become much more integrated into the book sure yeah yeah it's kind of hard to tell but i do think i'm on to something with the something with the moon and the blending of worlds yeah that story with jacks the moon has to play some role we see in this book and the series that there's often two stories that show similarities, you know, and the story with Jacks and the moon versus the moon that's Florian tells about, they have to come together to give us like a glimpse into the truth for sure. Yeah. Hopefully we actually end up getting answers. I have, I have faith. One day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, before we kind of go into maybe any critiques or changes you feel like could have been made, do you feel like there were any other kind of striking or points you wanted to make? Yeah, one thing I was kind of considering is, okay, the name of the book is The Wise Man's Fear. 
Grape tells him there's three things the wise man fears. The scene of storm, and Gavoth on his way to the mare, crashes due to a storm in the sea. A night with no moon, that's what leads him to Florian, which like makes sense that, that would be feared, because no one ever returns from Florian. And then the anger of a gentle man. Now I'm trying to I'm trying to like think if I would consider Kavoth to be a gentleman. So I feel like that has to come to play where someone's anger is going to cause problems for other people. Now I don't really consider Kavoth to be like gentle, because he's kind of like he is like definitely brash. I think of more as like following like the Amir mindset, like for the greater good, I will do anything, but not like a gentle person who's been turned by these hard events. Like he acts out viciously people he hates, and he acts extremely kindly to people he loves. But I don't really see him as someone who's like a gentle man. Um, so I've been trying to think about just what this could mean i think that is going like that's the name of the book why else would the book be named this right that sentence has to matter think of the gentleman it's the third piece of it. it has to be forthcoming in my opinion for the next book well that's maybe the it's there or him maybe it's referring to alvaron at yeah. the end you know kicking him out yep Alvaron, though, it could be like, but I feel like that's not like a big culmination. Like, he kicked you out, but he's still going to pay for everything you want. Yeah. And Gibbo's going to make 30 talents off of <laughs> admissions by yeah. being a dick to master him. Um, so I, I just think that that has to be something. And maybe, maybe it is now that kind of he is a gentleman and his time at the Waystone Inn. And He's, you know, just cares for the people who are in front of them. And that rousing him with anger is what will cause him to get his powers back, kind of. Where, like, something tragic will happen in the next book. And though I bet there will even be a line with it saying, like, I'm mad now. <laughs> so now I have my powers. <laughs> and I'm going to go off on a, a crazy <laughs> killing streak. But, and that's why Kyle is a writer. Yeah. Instead of a commentator. I am now mad. <laughs> power. Yeah. And, and even with that, I don't know. Just, like, I do really like this book for the connections of things. So, like, The Angry Gentleman. Gentleman. Also, another thought I had is, like, so the Adem talk about, like, when you have sex, the woman takes the man's anger, right? So <laughs> that's mentioned. And then Florian sings that song, right? When she's when she sees him. And I looked up like someone did a rough translation of it. And one of the lines is give me your fire, which I'm gonna say. That, that song is not just Rick Devos. It doesn't just mean his hair. <laughs> so I'm like, give me your fire. Give me your anger. Again, like, oh, it's just another reference to anger. That I think builds kind of our story here that, like, the anger of this gentleman is going to matter. Hopefully he doesn't give someone his sex. <laughs> I hope that's not a combination. But well, I mean, 
there's plenty of sex to go around in this book, so a little bit too. You much know, too. I just I just want to be too surprised at this point. Yeah, I just want it to really culminate because I see there's lots of foreshadowing things that link up. Yeah, and I right. I want the name of the book, Wise Man's Fear, and those three things listed to keep playing a role towards our next book. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you know. The third book will be revealing enough to, to kind of come back and maybe see the foreshadowing play out. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about some of our critiques here. You know, one of the bigger critiques I had, I think, was really kind of the plate pacing of this book. You know, he spends four hundred. 500 pages at the university, more or less doing the same thing that he was doing in the previous book. 364. I wrote down the point where he finally leaves the university. <laughs> How much was it? 364. 364. So almost 400 pages specifically dedicated to the university, where almost none of the plot advances for the rest of the book. Yeah, it's entertaining. But that's it. Yeah. It's like great writing. I, I applaud you, Patrick. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love, I feel that Patrick's writing is, you know, world class. Yes. I mean, he writes a story that is engaging. He uses language that is brilliant. Yeah. He describes things, maybe a little bit too much, but in a way that, you know, you really feel like you're there. Mm -hmm. But one of the drawbacks, I I think, is, you know, I think he could have taken, I mean, even his time with the mayor, Alvaron, takes up hundreds of pages. That's where I agree with you even more. Where it's like, you know, a whole trekking through the wilderness to find these bandits takes a lot longer than I feel like it should have. His whole time with the Adem, he spends... 200 or so pages training and that's uh, that's about all he did with them is train i, I like that his writing slowly reveals like big points but i see what you mean where like i was frustrated with this time with alvaron that he's there for so so long and then Good comes of it, and important things eventually happen. But all of his time wandering the city with Denna and, you know, trying to woo Lady Lackless, it's just a long time. And you're like, come on, man, give me those answers. Like, let's move the plot forward. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a pretty big drawback. You know, when it, and I've read, you know, Brandon Sanderson's, you know, way of uh, the Stormlight Archive, you know, and I've read every one of those books. I mean, those books are over a thousand pages and I really enjoy them. I really like those books. It's not that a book can't be long. It's that the plot needs to continually be developing, continually be moving forward. And if there is a stop, there needs to be a damn good justification for why there was yeah. such a long stop. 
And what I what I feel as as I was reading through this book is the means kind of don't justify the the end result. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're left kind of wondering, okay, why why did we spend so much time? And you know, the university, or why did we spend so much time with Alvaron? Why did why was there so much time devoted to these things? And yes, you know, maybe there's some character development. Maybe we learn a little bit here and there. But ultimately, it seems kind of like a waste. So I think if he had taken out maybe 30% in each of those sections and honed it down to, you know, kind of the meat of the story, I feel like I would have kind of walked out of this this book feeling much better about it but because of kind of the nature of it just drawing on and on and on at different points you know it 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 really felt hard to really kind of continue to engage with the story yeah i felt that way as i was reading it but then when i looked back is it weird if i say that i kind of like that he didn't give me the answers like you know, we we watch all these like Netflix series that are ten episodes and like nicely wrap up real fast and everything comes to the perfect culmination point with the build. It's like looking back, like during the book, I was like, "Come on, man! What about the Chandrian? What about the King? What about him becoming powerful again while he's at the Waystone Inn?" When I look back at it, I kind of like. Oh man, he's still really building. Like this is a sweet build. I kind of really I don't like it when I'm reading it, but like looking back, I'm like, oh man, what's he gonna do? Like it's just to me, it's almost like better in a weird way. Where I'm like, hey, way to go, way to not follow typical good writing and do your own kind of writing that isn't proven to be perfect yet, but has like <laughs> maybe like more potential almost because I'm going to be like, I'm so invested because you've done so much character development and storytelling and like built the world. And when it all comes through, I'm going to be like, oh man, you nailed it. That's because you're uh, masochistic and just love pain. <laughs> that's that's the only reason. I just continue to believe that it'll be good for me. At the end. <laughs> you yeah. can hold blindly. You to call it masochism. Hope. I'm going to just call it optimism yeah and say that you keep i see that my man can connect things there's just so many things that connect yeah just, you keep you keep waiting another five years for the next book yeah and then um i don't know if you again I, you didn't read um the slow regarding the thing, no right? i didn't yeah so so that book i think also kind of paints a picture of going along with what i'm saying where that book is like 150 pages and it's all about just Ari in the under thing. And she's just living her life down there. And you think like, oh, you're going to get Ari's backstory. But you don't. It's just day after day <laughs> of Ari's life. And she just like makes soap and like uh, <laughs> finds things and puts them in the place that she thinks is right. And in the end of the book, there's like an author's note by Patrick. And he's like, he says, this isn't what the people want at all. Like, there's no dialogue. There's no plot. 
There's no culmination. It's just like this story. And then he's talking to someone and she's like, that's good. You don't have to follow this better mold. Like this can be a story for other people. And he's like saying, you know, that's unique to that book. And it kind of gave me the broader perspective that it's not unique to that book. Where like, he's an author who's not going to follow the cookie cutter way. And book two going into book three, we don't really know. Hey, kudos, kudos for him for trying something new. I, yeah. It's different. Kudos, sure. It just comes down to, can you deliver in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I mean, here's here's kind of, I guess, my point to that is, you know, I've read plenty of authors that have done things in a brand new way. Um, I think of Steven Erickson. He tells a story, and maybe we'll cover uh, Malazan, Book of the Fallen. Great series. Maybe we'll cover that eventually here, but... You know, he tells a story in a way that is completely different than any series I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about the next series we're going to do, The Broken Empire. Start, start jumping into, into that. Incredibly different take on, you know, good, evil. We'll get into that when we start reading it. But, you know, also a very different take. and. You know, I think that there's a way to do it by following well-known mechanics. Mm -hmm. You have to have a plot that is engaging, that is good, that is moving forward. You have to have good world building, which I think Patrick Rothfuss does a great job at world building. It's, it's, yeah, it's a great, you know, it's a great world. But his plot struggles, and there also needs to be good character development. Right. And he kind of shot himself in the foot because we essentially know where Kavos' character ends up. Mm-hmm. So it almost, so it almost, you know, his he does learn a lot. He does go through different things, but it's like, yeah, but we already know where this is headed. So why don't you actually move there instead of, you know, meandering about kind of the story, giving us details that aren't ultimately important to kind of that, that end goal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very different that it ends. You, know, you read the first book, it ends, he's powerless now. In the second book, it ends, he's powerless now. And he's just, there's even that part towards the end where he says, like, it's like the unwinding of a man waiting to die. He just slows down. And you're like, what? I don't want you to slow down. I want you to speed up. <laughs> I'm waiting for right. a turnaround. Like, and then, like, Bass goes out and takes care of him. And you're like, but, Kavod, I thought you were going to be speeding up. And that, that is frustrating. Like, yeah. you cannot deny that. So one um, one quick final point, and then maybe we could go through kind of our rating here, what we would rate this book. But, you know, 
the whole like women just throwing themselves at the vote, we kind of brought that up in the first book. It's that times 10 in this book where he's actually sleeping around with women. And yes, it's justified because he slept with basically a goddess of sex and lived. But it's still like the only point of women in this story are to have sex with both. I I do love the development of Debbie. I think that Debbie's his best female character. Totally. She has... Although she wants to have sex with him, too. No, she does not. I don't know a little bit. She, <laughs> yeah, see? But she's not <laughs> desperate for him. She's, like, interested in him. She likes to flirt. I think she's, you know, maybe playing her angle there. Um, Debbie's also interesting with that, you know, Kavos this extreme badass who cannot be defeated. He's got the Rilar of a thousand men or whatever. But Debbie beats him. Ramston Steel, which he says over and over and over again. It's like, all right, I get it. You have a hard-on for Ramston Steel. But Debbie beats him, which I do credit Patrick for. He gave a female character legit power. And Debbie is used in the book like a few chapters later to help take down Ambrose. And even the final point where he makes where Kavod looks around and is like, wait, this room is worth like 500 talents. Like, you are rich. There's, you don't really like have a minimum on the amount of money you lend or anything. You use people to get like important things. And it like shows that like she's kind of brilliant like that. But you take Debbie away, then I I can't really refute. refute. It's, yeah. it's good with Debbie. I don't, I don't know if we can justify it with um... one out of eight. Yeah. But, all right, enough on that. Let's give uh, just kind of our final rating here. What would you give it? Um, I kind of like it more than the first book now. Wow. Because I was, I'm so enthralled by the story. I do wish it went more. I'm going to choose to look at it in a way where I'm like, this story is a story that's interesting for a story's sake. And I'm not looking for the ending. If I choose to not look for how it ends, then I can say that I really like it and give it like an 8.5. Wow. I could read this Bold. book again. Like I could just I could just read it again right now. Yeah. So real quick, just on my rating scale. So I'd say for me, one to three is bad. No it's way. really bad. Better not say one to three. Four or five is, you know, not great, not bad. Good is six or seven. And, you know, great, must read, eight or nine, perfect, ten. I would give this book a borderline three or four. No. Yes. No. Here's, and, again, here's my reasoning. You know, for a book to be great, for a book to be good, it needs to have character development, plot movement, and world building. He did great on world building, but that's not enough to carry a story. You need to have both plot movement forward and character development. And without those, the book is just gonna, it's just gonna suffer in ways for me that 
are, you know, close to unforgivable. You're so too, too I, I so I will give it I will give it a four, a solid four. I see where you're coming from, but I strongly disagree. But I see where you're coming. That's fair, and 